listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. But now, it's time for this week's interview. Here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. It takes many writers years and years to finally set pen to paper, but my guest on today's podcast has possibly had a more rocky ride than most. David Robertson is a former engineer who got his first book published after three shattering life events. This is in spite of being told 10 years ago that he should get an agent for a sci-fi fantasy novel that he started in 2006. David is a lover of dogs too, and he uses this interest as the inspiration for his writing for children. Welcome to the show, David. Hi there, Paul. Lovely to uh, talk to you. We met a couple of weeks ago at a, a Troubadour self-publishing event. Did you enjoy yourself at that? I did. It was very good and very informative, I thought. Mm. Yeah, you, you always leave those events learning loads, I think, don't you? Yes, right. you, you do, you do. And I, I did listen to your uh, podcast diary about it. Um, we discussed what had gone on and whatever, and yeah, very good. Good, excellent. Well, thank you for being a listener too. Now, interestingly, you were an engineer by profession, and and then writing doesn't sort of naturally fit into that because it, it feels, you know, engineering feels like a very different job. Had you sort of always had a writer bubbling away inside you? Um, can I just say, ode to grandma's eating cake, I have got the bellyache. That was my first <laughs> attempt at the age 11. Really? <laughs> I think so. Uh, what I used to do, I used to write uh, what I thought were funny rhymes at the time. So, um, yeah, engineering, I mean, engineering, to be honest, there is writing involved because we do technical manuals, that sort of thing, you know. So there is a, a, a bit of writing involvement, but, yeah, I've always written. It's been... Uh, something i've carried on with now you, you, we're in the same kind of age group and i know when i used to write at that age i was writing from about nine i used to write my books on basil and bond pads do you remember those yes I said, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what what were you writing on how were you writing when you were 11 years old i have absolutely no idea i can't remember old bits of scraps of paper i believe uh, my, my dad was actually in the printing trade and i seem to remember he used to bring uh you know, blank paper home with him, that sort of thing. So, some sort, some something of that nature. I would have thought. There's something about us when we're kids that we stop scribbling, don't we? And I, I just wondered. I know I stopped. I think when I started work. When did you ever? Did you stop the the scribbling and the writing when you started work, or did you manage to keep it up? I did. Uh, like I say, I, I, I did write rhymes, and and usually they were about. Um, fellow workers and sometimes i got into trouble for that i did actually get banned from the canteen at one place something about slicing the gravy so uh, they, they banned me they did actually get quite upset and banned me for life so i had to send somebody else in to get my bacon sandwich in the morning but uh, yeah it's something i've always done you know it, uh, like i say it was usually uh, little daft rhymes to begin with i've never actually written any sort of fiction or anything like that until quite late on so any aspirations at that stage? Any thoughts at all about publishing it, putting it into any kind of a, a journal? Not really. I mean, it was something I, I enjoyed doing, but, uh, you know, work gets in the way, doesn't it? You know, life gets in the way, you know, in uh, many, many respects. 
I think it, yeah, I think it does. I think that's probably a problem for, for many writers and probably not until we get a little bit older that we start to feel that sense of, if I don't do it now, I'm, I'm never going to do it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the way it went. So, uh, you know, you've got, you've got to sort of put it all on hold and get on with the uh, earning some money for the tax man, unfortunately. So. <laughs> exactly. R- roof over the head. That's yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so how come then we got from these uh, amusing uh, rhymes that you were writing and that seemed to take you through in, into your adult life and then suddenly after the year 2000 somehow you've managed to to pen this sci-fi fantasy novel where, where did that come from um i actually woke up one morning <laughs> i don't quite know how i arrived at this i thought i'm going to write a radio play and I don't quite know why I thought I could write a radio play because I've never really listened to the radio, not not to plays anyway. I listen to music, but not to plays. So I that's what I did. I wrote a radio play, and full of confidence, I sent it off to the BBC, and they sent it back to me saying, "Never dark near door again." <laughs> <laughs> so, so undeterred, I wrote another one. <laughs> Like you do. <laughs> As you do. And then uh, I thought, well, I'd better get some advice on this. So I, I sent it off to uh, a writing consultancy type place uh, to a guy called Jonathan Myerson. It, it was sort of handed over to look after me, if you, if you know what I mean. And uh, he looked at it and said, well, it's all right, but it's not very good, you know, and wasn't very forthcoming with it. So... I took it back and I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll turn it into a novel now. So <laughs> that's what I did, strangely enough. And uh, I sent it back to him uh, sometime later, obviously. It didn't happen overnight. And he came back and he says, oh, I'm quite shocked, really. He says, this is really quite good. He says, it's not right by any means, you know. But uh, I think working together, we can sort something out. So that was it. After many rewrites, we sort of arrived at a fully finished novel um, wow so l- let me just get the time scale here then so w- when when did you have that eureka moment and decide that it was time to write a radio play having never listened to a radio play <laughs> or written one before when, when what sort of where were we in the I time would, scale? i would say about I, i'm 100 sure 2003 2004 something like that i would have thought so this happened over a couple of years yeah, basically. So 2006, I think I'd got it sort of more or less finished. So. And you were keeping a job down at the time. Yeah. Uh, this was 2006, so you probably probably had a word processor then, did you? Was it was it pen and paper or word processor? It was a uh, word processor, yeah. Um, well, you were, I, you I, were I was, I was self-employed, cause I, so I'd got a com- I, I use AutoCAD as software for the for the job I did, so uh, I've got a big, big computer system, so I just did it all in Word, basically. And was this in the evenings, or did you get time in the day? Did you have to you know squeeze it in around self-employment, by the sounds of it? Well, self-employment, you can pretty much... Uh, time's your own, isn't it, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough. So that was what I did. Mainly it was in the evenings, but uh, if there was a bit of a law during the day, I could... Uh, I could put a few, jot a few notes down. Because I, I, I find that I I don't write, you know, in a in a planned, structured way. I, I, I write when the feeling strikes me. And if the feeling strikes, then I'll write and I'll write and I'll write until I get it out. But I, I don't sit down every day and do some writing. I, I, I'm not that sort of mentality. I'm very much a panster as well. There's no plan. It's just, if it comes to me, I'll put it down. How long was this sci-fi fantasy novel? Is it quite a hefty work? 
it did he, <laughs> it did at one stage get up to 120,000 words. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, uh, uh, and it was edited down to about 80,000 in the end. So uh, yeah, there was. Oh, I mean, the editing is a as you probably know, it's a nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> I hate and detest it, but uh, it has to be done, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. There was a lot of words. I, I agree with you, yeah. It's the curse <laughs> of creative people, I think, editing. It's like, you know, it's lovely writing the stories, but having to pick through it, it's horrible, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's terrible, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, you're an engineer, you see. I would I would think that you would be used to that kind of, you know, systematic, problem-solving checking process. Perhaps it's a sort of release from that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's sort of an escape from the structure of, uh, you know, the day-to-day job. Just, uh, it's, it's just nice to escape into some, some other world and make it up as you go along, basically. Now, I, ha- I hate to, to mention this, but it, it's pretty random doing a sci-fi fantasy novel after writing amusing rhymes and poems. Mm-hmm. Why, why the jump? Like I say, I, I'm a bit of a, a panster, if the truth is known, and it just struck me that that was the thing to do. I, I, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It was a... Just something I, I wanted to do at the time. I thought I'll give it a go, see what happens. Um, yeah, that's how it sort of worked out. I'm not even. I'm not even sure it, it was intended to be a novel at the time. I think it might have been. Uh, it was a. The chapters are more or less a sort of collection of short stories, if you like. You could perhaps put them together as a. And I think that was the way it started out. It was a it was a collection of short stories, but I managed to mould them all together uh, and come up with a novel idea on it. So we got to eighty thousand words, and to the stage where this gentleman who was who was mentoring you and advising you said, "You actually we've we've licked this into shape." Mm-hmm. What what happened then? Did it go on the back burner? Did you try touting it round to some publishers? Um, what happened was, like I said, this guy Jonathan he. He said you should, you should perhaps get, think about getting an agent. He said, but the the other thing he says I haven't actually got much experience in this genre. He said, do you do you know anybody who could perhaps advise you on that? Well, I don't know anybody. I didn't know at the time anybody from the writing world, and, and I said obviously no. And he said, um, well, what are you reading at the moment? And I said, well, I'm reading a, a book by a guy called Tom Holt, who was a sci-fi writer like fantasy, and um, he said, funny enough, he said, I used to go to school with him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Strange coincidence. He said, I haven't spoken to him for years, he said, but I'll see if I can get hold of him, which he did. And Tom Holt wow. was kind enough to read it and came back and said, uh, no, it's not good enough, basically. So that was when it back went on the back burner. But uh, it's coming back onto the front burner again very, very shortly. Well, pleased to hear that. We'll explore that in a moment. Yeah. So I just want to know how you handled the rejection uh, at that point, because that's you, you've been through quite a lot. You've been told your plays were no good by the BBC. Then um, mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan had told you that they were no good, and you'd gone away, and you'd rewritten, and now Jonathan was saying it was okay, and then a writer was saying it's not up to scratch again. There's a lot of hours and agony and rewriting, which you've already admitted you don't like there. Mm-hmm. What, where was your, your mindset at that point, as far as your writing was concerned? Uh, I think I took a bit of a break then. That that was sort of, uh, I mean, life was getting a bit difficult, so it was sort of everything was put on the back burner for a, a few years. Um, and I didn't really pick it up again until recently, to be honest. 
Um, now, in 2013, your life took a dramatic turn. Uh, and this is what's brought you back to the writing. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk me through what happened at that time? Well, 2013, sadly, uh, on Christmas Day, my wife had been ill for some time, uh, but she collapsed and was rushed into hospital. On the Boxing Day, about four o'clock in the morning, she actually passed away, uh, which, what do you say? Um, So that was the first part. Uh, My dad was actually in the same hospital in the corridor, in the in the ward across the corridor, at the same time, um, he was suffering from cancer, which he had been for some time, and two weeks later he sadly passed away as well. Um, so I mean that's pretty devastating set of events, how, really. <laughs> how how do you pull yourself up after something like that? I mean, it's just you know two of the closest people to you in your life, mm. and, and you're you know you're a young man still. Um, you know, you're not an old man. Um, you oh, know, you don't expect that. this, <laughs> but it, it's not the sort of age when this sort of stuff should be happening. Maybe is it? Not really. I, I mean, it was pretty. It was absolutely. Shot. I mean, I'm quite su- upset about the fact that I, I never realised that Dad was so close to passing away. Really, because from the shock from my wife dying, I hadn't taken it in. I mean, my brother had dealt with. Dad, while I was sorting other things out, you know, and uh, it, it did come, come as a, a massive shock to me that you know when Dad passed away as well. And, and then after that, I mean, this is it's quite it's a remarkable story. It's a terrible sto- story, but you then had your own health difficulties following that. Yes, um, I had a heart attack, which <laughs> you'll like this, not a lot, but <laughs> we. Uh, I went for a walk, it was in the August, went for a walk down the canal to the local village and bought some fish and chips, sat by the canal and ate them, uh, and then went down to the local pub for a couple of pints to wash them down and walked home, and just before I got home, I got this tremendous pain in my chest, which obviously I put down to indigestion from the fish and chips, and I walked, <laughs> I actually walked around for three days with chronic indigestions, I thought. In fact, I, I, I drove down to Milton Keynes to do a job down there and then back up to Birmingham to do a job there as well uh, on the Thursday. On the Friday, lunchtime, I thought I'll go and see the nurse at the doctor's because this doesn't seem quite right. I shouldn't have indigestion this long. And she immediately called the ambulance and... Uh, they told me I'd had a heart attack on the Wednesday, I think it was. Um, and I was in Russell's Hall, which is our local hospital, for a week. And they then transferred me to New Cross in Wolverhampton, which is a wonderful cardiac unit. And I was there for a further three weeks. I, had, I, I went in initially for a stent. And when they looked into it, they said, there's no way you were having a stent. You're actually having a quad bypass. So, which is what happened, which was, to be honest, quite horrendous. <laughs> Never mind. As the, as the specialist said to me at the time, um, there's a one in 100 chance of anything going wrong. Guess who's the one in 100? That was me. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I, had, no. uh, I came round from the operation and I had a collapsed lung as well, which they didn't realise, and I wonder why I was in so much pain. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, these things happen. 
So this was in the course of a year, is that right? Yes, this was, um, yeah, yeah, it was about seven months after my wife died, yeah. And the reason I'm I'm talking to you about this is because I know it's your recovery and your reaction to this is is kind of part of your writing journey. But you see, the only reason I'm you know I'm asking you to talk us through it because I, I think it's interesting. It's really interesting sometimes. I think what what makes people do the writing, mm-hmm. uh, and you're actually the second person that I've spoken to now uh, on this podcast who has been almost kicked into doing the writing you know, by this tumultuous life event. And and it just, it, I find it fascinating what stops us writing sometimes and what actually it takes to make us do do the thing that we really want to do. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, it does alter your perception of what's important in life, to be honest. Because, I mean, I, I, I'd worked for, you know, since I left school, and that was it, work, 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 you know, the odd holiday here and there, you know, same as everybody, really. But... Uh, you put your nose to the grindstone and just carry on, and then sometimes something gives you that kick and says, oh, "Hang on, you know what are you doing here? You know, pay attention." Because I mean, I, I, I'm 60 years old now. I'm I haven't got long to go to you know 65. I could retire. Um, did I want to do that? I mean, I, I remember my granddad. He died when just after he retired. I've known quite a few people who, you know, they get to retirement age and they've fall off the perch for whatever reason you know and i didn't want to be like that it was uh and, and that was the kick that actually stopped me working she so decided to, to to quit your job and and what take, take a chance just just see how it worked out take a chance to see it would well there's a, a couple of things that sort of stuck in my mind a, a, a good friend of mine who's unfortunately you know he's passed away as well some some years ago but he always used to tell me that he's he's uh he wanted to die the same way as his dad and I thought, the first time he told me, I thought, oh, I mean, he must have died in peacefully in his sleep or died suddenly. And I said, you know, was that the case? And he said, no, he says, he died owing five pounds to Barclays Bank. And that's the way I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he pretty, pretty nearly managed it. And, and the, sec- the second thing, um, like I say, I was self-employed, and I, but I did a, a lot of work for one particular company. And the... When I when I made the decision, I, I went to the boss and said, "Look, I, I'm going to pack it in. I'm not. I, I don't want to do this anymore." But, <laughs> can I say my heart's not in it? No, that's not. Uh, <laughs> it's grown. Um, but I, I, I said, I, "I don't want to do." It. He said, "Well, can you afford to retire?" And I thought about it. I thought, "Well, how do you answer that? You know, if I if I keeled over tomorrow, I've obviously got far too much money, I'm like, it's a question of how much time you've got left at the end of the day and that's what I said to him, you know, if I died tomorrow, I've got far too much money, you know I can take the chance, I'm going to do what I want to do, which is the writing, see how it goes, I mean, I, I, I guess if push came to shove, I could always go back to work but it's not something I want to do it's, Does it take your fear away David? You know, the, I mean, that was one hell of a year and you nearly lost your life too. Does it just take the fear away when that happens? Um, I think it does, yeah. And it also focuses your mind, to be honest. You know, you realise what's important. And and working's not that important. Okay, it pays the bills and this, that and the other. Uh, I, was, I was, well, fortunately in the unfortunate position that when Dad died, he, he left a house. I mean, he hadn't got a great deal of money or whatever, but uh, 
obviously we sold the house and my brother and I split the proceeds between us. So that gave me a bit of leeway to be able to do what I'm doing now, which is trying to create a, a writing brand, if you like. So what made you then, as you were recovering from uh, a quadruple uh, a bypass and complications as well, just to, to throw those into the pot, the, you know, we wouldn't expect you to go through it easily, would we uh, now? So uh, with no, your no. with your track record, um, <laughs> re- when, when did you start to think about that writing again? Because you'd put it on the back burner a couple of years previously. Mm-hmm. What, what made writing come to the front? Um, I actually... For something to do, I joined a writers' group um, in in Dudley, a group called Castle Writers, and uh, that sort of I don't know. It was some months later. It was um, probably three, four months after the heart attack. I thought, well, I've got to do something. You know, I've got to keep myself occupied somehow. So I joined a writers' group, uh, and that kicked it all off. I think I, I started writing flash fiction which I'd never even heard of up to that point. Uh, and I got really sort of into that in a big way. So. Now, flash fiction is interesting. Just, just talk me through it, because I, it's one of these things I'm aware of, but I don't know the, the rules, if you want. How does it work, flash fiction? Well, what I, what I was doing, I was writing for competitions, basically. I must say I've never won one, but never mind. Um, <laughs> they give you a set amount of words to write a particular story. Sometimes they give you a theme. You know, uh, but I, I I was getting towards the end. I was getting quite pedantic about it because they, they say a maximum of one hundred words to write a story, and I've got to do it in exactly one hundred words. Ninety nine wasn't right, or if they said two hundred and fifty, it's got to be exactly two hundred and fifty. And it was it's surprising how concise you can be when you put your mind to it. You know, you can write quite a long piece and then cut out all the extraneous words. And you'd be amazed at, you know, it's quite a useful exercise for writers anyway, I believe, to get into flash, flash fiction, just to see how many words they don't actually need to use, if you see what I mean. And, and did, because you'd written uh, poetry and, and rhymes before that, they're, they're fairly concise, aren't they, I guess, by nature? Did that help yes, with the flash are. fiction? I think so. I, I think I, I must have that sort of mindset anyway, because I, I, I find it quite, easy to do that sort of thing you know it's um yeah, it was short stories not so much but flash you know if somebody gives me a target something to aim for it sort of concentrates the mind and i'll, I'll find i can do it quite easily yeah good and and so you you did it for competitions uh, how did you find the writing group i've never been a member of a writing group <laughs> and i hear different things about them what what sort of goes on there how does that work well i'm actually chairman now my sins. Oh, look I, at you. I think, uh, I know. How flash is that? <laughs> I, th- I think they said uh, all volunteers want to take a step forward and everybody else stood back and I stayed there. <laughs> I was. That's what happened there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's about, uh, we've got a group of about 14 people. Some are, some are just armchair members. But, uh, and you get, get feedback, get critique on, on what you're working on, you know. Um, the, there's all sorts of genres going on. We've got a lady there who writes uh, Blood and gore, if you like. Uh, do people who do poetry? There's a, there's a guy who does short children's uh, poetry, that sort of thing. Um, another lady who was just there to do a, an autobiography of a family, basically, just for the family. So you know, 
it's quite diverse, really. And as somebody who'd written, well, almost in isolation before, how useful do you find the toing and froing of a group of people who are doing pretty well what you're doing? It's, uh, it's use- well, it's, it's nice to have things to bounce, bounce off, isn't it? Bounce the ideas off. Um, and it's, it's very isolating as a writer as well. well it can be. So it's nice to get out sort of once a week and meet a group of like-minded people, you know. This, the social aspects is probably as, as much use as the um, the actual writing aspect, if you like. Now, you've you've written a rather a splendid book, a uh, children's book, called Dognapped, uh, which you've published through uh, Matador, which is a self-publishing arm of Troubadour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've got that correct, haven't I? Yes, yeah. Um, so now I'm interested in, so you join the, the writing group uh, as, uh, as as part of your kind of recovery process, and you start the writing again. How did we get from, from flash fiction and working with the writing group to wanting to produce this children's book? What, I also, what I'm also part of is a dog agility group. Oh, yes. Because uh, I've got a border collie, uh, and I'm also chairman of that. You'll be pleased to know. Oh, so many hats, so many hats. <laughs> but... Uh, what I did for the dog agility group was I wrote the newsletter and I always wrote it from the point of view of Misty, my dog. Ah. Uh, quite, you know, quite fun stories and that sort of thing. And somebody said, why don't you write a book based on Misty's adventures, if you like, a children's book? So I, thought, I, I don't know why. I need, I'd never thought about it, to be honest. It was somebody else's suggestion, so that's what I did. And I'm interested in the kind of disciplines required for writing a children's book because it, by, by, in terms of word count, you know, your sci-fi fantasy novel was, at, at, at most, it was 120,000 words, whereas a children's book for 7- to 10-year-olds is, I don't know, how, how many words is that? I don't know what that I've, comes to. Mine is 5,000. Oh, really? It's that many, is it? It's, yeah. that's, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a total of eight chapters, and each, each chapter has got an illustration in it. Um, now that doesn't actually fit the template of children's books, which is why I self-published. Uh, a, a, a children's book of that sort of nature should, by all accounts, have more like eight, ten thousand words in it, and have a black and white picture. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, and I, I mean, I'd written the story, and that was the story. You know, I wasn't going to pad it out or whatever. So. I, that's why I've gone the self-publishing route because it doesn't fit the genre, to be honest. And, and did you get agent feedback that told you that, or was it just subsequent research that made you think, "Oh, this ain't going to fly"? Let's I, self-publish. I thought it ain't going to fly, and, uh, and to be honest, I, I didn't um, feel like I had it, the time or the inclination to go pursuing agents who were going to send me re- rejection letters uh, as they do. And then they will go to publishers if I happen to get one, and the publishers would reject it. I mean, life's too short, really, isn't it? <laughs> that's yeah. that's what I found out. That's my lesson in life. Life is too short. <laughs> now, now, so I think your, your book is beautifully produced. When we met at the conference, you gave me a copy of it, and and it, um, you know, and, and we shouldn't say this about self-publishing. We shouldn't be surprised in any way about this. But you know, if I picked that up in the library, I wouldn't look. Twice, I wouldn't think that it was a self-published book. Beautifully produced, um, lovely illustrations, and I'm very interested in the undertaking involved in that because I, I know you're 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 not the artist. You've got another artist involved to do that. So this is quite a project. All of a sudden, it's not just a writing project. Oh, is it? Yes, how, yes. how did you do that? Um, 
Well, Ian R. Ward is the artist, and I found him on the internet, to be honest. I, I googled illustrators, and, and I spent quite a lot of time looking through, plowing through various websites and whatever, until I came across this. He'd done a, a picture of a, I think it was three, a, a leopard, a tiger, and some other cat being chased by a, a warthog or something like that, and I thought, that is exactly the kind of image that I want. It was, you know, it just stood out a mile from everything else that I looked at. Uh, so I, found, I uh, got in touch with him and fortunately he was free to do it. He came up with the black and white illustrations and that they were fantastic, to be honest. I, 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 they exceeded my expectations 100%. It's, uh, they're, they're fantastic. And I've just... well, I, I love the pictures. Yeah, they, I mean, they're really, um, you know, I think you've really got it with the animals and everything, the characterisation of all the animals. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Everybody says that. Nobody says anything about the story. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> You're frustrated, right? I know, yeah. Well, I, I guess with a children's book, with a picture book, you know, the fir- I've got it in front of me here. So the first thing I'm doing is, you know, I'm flicking through. And, of course, the pictures are the things that your eye focuses on. You see, the other thing, I, I mean, this is a little bit sad, isn't it? But I also like the font that you've used for your headings you see yes uh and and the colorization of the fonts that that as somebody who makes websites and things i'm thinking well i like that too you see so i'm i'm burrowing down with the big stuff first and then you go to the text of course yes yeah (laughs) and get there in the end (laughs) yes that's right now i i want to explore this a little bit and tell me to buzz off if i'm sticking my nose in too much here but i'm interested in some of the nitty-gritty of this Mm -hmm. when you get the artwork do you pay a one-off for that or do you split the royalties in the book well i I wasn't sure i mean this was something i had to go through with ian but um basically what i've done i've paid him a a set fee he's given me a a fee for the for the uh i think it was nine pictures and a cover as i remember um so I had a set fee for that, uh, and that's it. Now the, the the rights are mine. You know, as soon as he's had the money, the rights have reverted to me. So I can use them for publicity, which I have done on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Um, so basically, the images are are now mine. And how do the credits work? Because Ian gets a credit on there. I mean, you know, obviously, I guess, if it would be only a courtesy, really. But is is that part of the deal? I'm just interested in how it all works. Um, To be honest, well, I insisted that he had um, his name on the bottom of the cover because it it only seemed right. He he didn't uh, seem to think that he should, but, you know, it's it's my, you know, I I thought, you know, they make the book. You know, they make the book what it is. No, it's only fair that he should have the credit on the front cover as well, as well as me, for writing it. I, I tried to uh, produce a, a similar book uh, years ago when I was a student. I did it for my dissertation. And I'm just interested to know, uh, you know, because the, the technology was rubbish in those days, and we didn't even have... We were, I was on typewriter, an old... Uh, what were they called? Silver Reed, whatever they were called, the old typewriters. Yes, <laughs> I was on one of those in those days. It was really hard to do this stuff. Uh, how how did the paintings come into you? I'm just I, I don't I just don't know with children's books. What what form do they come in? Well, he, he initially sent them through as black and whites, black and white mm-hmm. uh, outlines. Uh, once I'd approved them, there were there were a couple. I just made suggestions, you know, that we changed this a little bit here. We Disneyfied the eyes, if I remember, because he got the eyes quite small originally, but the eyes are quite m- much bigger now. And they're lovely and expressive, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're fantastic. Uh, and then uh, as soon as I'd, I'd approved the black and whites, then he, he, he just set to colouring them. Now, how, 
how he does it, I have no idea. He, he, I, I've never met the chap, to be honest. He's over in Mansfield somewhere, I believe. So, uh, you know, everything just comes to me over the internet. He, he has, has to send them to Matador um, on a special file because, you know, it's, it's quite a huge file that he sends through and it wouldn't come through on my computer. So he sent, just sends them direct to Matador and they insert it into the correct place on the book. And they're, so they're electronic files then? They're not, uh, they, you know, yes. pa- paper paintings or anything no, like that? No, no, they're electronic as far as I'm aware. It's, uh, oh, right. It's done on some clever program, I dare say. And in terms of your experience, then, you see, because there's a lot more um, formatting in your book, say, than there is in the books that I've done, which are just, you know, text and, and, and just text, really. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just I'm very interested to explore this process. When, when we then go into this nice font that you've used for your chapter headings and your chapter titles, uh, how much did you have to do with that? Or is that Matador side of things? That was Matador side of things. But obviously, I'll get the proofs to, you know, say yay, nay, or, you know, whatever I want to change. Um, and I, I don't think I'd change the font as I remember. It was, that was what they come up with in the, in the first place. So there were a few little changes I did have to make, but uh, that wasn't one of them. Because I, 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 in some places the text actually flows around the picture. Um, so, but that wasn't something they did originally. They, they, they'd sort of put the picture and then the text below or whatever. And I, 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 my good feeling was it looked better if the text flowed around the illustration. Um, and I, I think that works uh, to a large extent. And I'm interested in, uh, again, presumably this went through uh, an editor. Did, did you have to go through that process as well? No, I didn't use an editor at all. I just, um, I mean, it's 5,000 words. It's, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I, I did all the sort of, I, I, I got a, a beta reader just to go through and make sure there were no errors in the punctuation, in the you know, in the storyline, no words missing, that sort of thing. But that that, that was it. Basically. So, how long would you say it took you to produce this? Because there's a lot of um, it's, manage, it's a management project, really, isn't it? You know, as well as writing it, there's quite a lot of management involved in this. I think more than a than a, a regular adult fiction book. Yeah, I, th- I think there is. Uh, I mean, writing it would no time at all, really. Uh, like I say, you know, I enjoy this sort of thing. I just, <laughs> if, if I'm in the mood, I can just blast it out. Uh, but the, you know, getting the picture, it, it seemed a, a long process to me. It really did. I, you know, you're sitting there waiting for the pictures to come, and once they come, you can't send those off, and then it'll come straight back from the publisher. But, you know, obviously these things take time. So, uh, and then you've got to get the AI sheets out and the press release sheets out and that sort of thing. But uh, pulling it all together took a lot longer than I imagined it would, to be honest. You must be delighted with the finished product. It, it really is, you know, it really is a treat uh, to look at and to read. You know, it's, it's a wonderful book. It, uh, you pleased with it? Oh, it's fantastic. I, I, re- I love it. I mean, I mean, apart from the sort of first author thing of getting your name in, you know, your, your book finally out there. But I, I, I genuinely think it is a, an excellent book. What have your experiences have been, this is always the difficult bit, you get the book out and then you've got to market it and you've talked about the advanced information sheets and things like that that have to go out. How, how have you found then the, the subsequent marketing of it and the getting the uptake for the book? I must admit at this moment in time I find it very difficult. Mm. Um, to begin with it went quite 
reasonably, which I, I think it does it in the, in the first few weeks. It's, it's been out now a, a month, officially, uh, and all of a sudden everything seems to ground to a halt, so I've got to really kick on now and do a bit a bit more on the marketing side. I mean, I'm not a, a very technical person, I don't think you'd say, on, on computers with all the social websites, so, I mean, I'm... Okay, I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to computers, so things like LinkedIn and Goodreads and all those are very alien to me. I mean, I mean, talking to you today on Skype was something that <laughs> took some setting up, believe me. <laughs> well, we, we got here, you arrived on we, time, we so you did very so, well. So it's, cause I've, I've got a, a Facebook account, I've got a Twitter account, uh, but what I did, I did Facebook first, got myself to be pretty familiar with that. Now I, I, I can't get off the things. I must be honest. Procrastination is a is a great thing for me. Uh, Twitter, I, I, I then opened a Twitter account, and it was the same. So it's a bit of a learning curve, and I, I won't move on to the next one until I'm comfort comfortable with what I'm doing already. You know, I don't want to take too much on and find out I'm just I've just clogged everything up. You know. I've got to tell you, when I was preparing for this interview, um, I hope, have you listened to Nina Ratcliffe's podcast, episode six? Nina is the lady who writes the horse books. Yes, so I did, yeah. Coin, yeah, the Dublin, Dublin something, was it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, and it just struck me when, when I was preparing for this that um, one of the really clever things that Nina's done is she, she, she sets up stalls at um, shows, horse shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I just thought, you know, your agility shows, that's perfect for you. I would have thought to you know to sell, and she shifts a lot of books at those too. Yeah, um, strangely, <laughs> the agility season is only just starting. We've got our first one on this Sunday, which is actually a book launch for me. I've asked them to do it. We're doing it at the local pub uh, just around the corner. So uh, there's uh, bouncy castles and hot dogs and that sort of thing, and, and also a dog agility show. So I'm hoping to sell a few books there because, uh, which is on the bank holiday Sunday. Oh, that's perfect, isn't it? I hope the weather's good for you. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Uh, and like you say, at, at future events, we, we generally do about between about six and eight events a year, obviously during the summer months. So uh, hopefully I can, you know, take that route. Yeah, I mean, it's worked brilliantly for Nina because um, she's gone from doing that to being approached by, you know, libraries to do sessions for yeah, kids yeah. and schools. And it's just... You know, one thing has led to another, I think, because with the animals involved, it's just perfect, isn't it? Well, that's right, yeah. Uh, one other thing that I, I found was that, because uh, I'm obviously on Twitter, um, someone got in touch with me. They, they write as, on Twitter as, as it's their dog. It's, it was uh, all her, I think. She's a, a, a guide dog for the blind, and they got in touch with me, and all her was talking to Misty and saying, you know, you ought to come and do some schools in Wolverhampton and that sort of thing, so, you know. Hopefully something will come of that. So yeah, because, because they already do it, you know, with the guide dogs. They take the guide dogs into school. So I can take Misty in, hopefully. I've, Misty's already been to Dudley Library to uh, a signing event there, which the kids quite enjoyed, you know. Yeah, it's a perfect combination, isn't it? Where, uh, particularly with a, a dog that's portable rather than a horse that's not. <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> if only I'd written it about a hamster. <laughs> Strangely, my partner there has got a, a Shetland pony, which is uh, about the same size, to be honest. So. Oh, Shetlands are good for stories. Oh, yeah. My sister's got a Shetland. They're, they're wonderful things, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Certainly temperamental, that's, that's for sure. 
Um, now, I know you've got plans. You've got plans for more Misty books, which is great. So talk, talk us through your plans for the, the next books, the follow-ups. The second book is done. It's called In the Dog House. It's um, at Matador at the moment. The text is anyway. I've seen the, uh, the cover for it this week, uh, which Ian's finished off all in colour, and I've seen the black and white illustrations uh, the back end of last week for the, for the chapters, and it all looks absolutely fantastic again. So uh, hopefully that will be coming out uh, at the end of October, just in time for Christmas. Oh, brilliant, lovely. And, and you'll have got the impetus going with Dognapped by Well, then. that's what I'm... I mean, what I was hoping with Dognapped, I was going to treat it as a learning curve, mm. uh, you know, to see what works, what doesn't, and then not, hopefully not make the same mistakes or, you know, use the experience to learn for the second book. And the third book, which is now about half written, which is possibly going to be called Dog Walk, where they go for a, a walk in the country and get lost and one thing and another. In the dog house, he's about uh, Rascal, who's the German shepherd. He's outgrown his kennel and they have to go and get him a new one. <laughs> <laughs> they, they end up actually buying him a summer house from a, 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 one of these places that sells sheds and summer houses. But they don't realise at the time that they're doing it is actually being robbed. So, uh, inadvertently, oh, inadvertently, they catch the criminals. <laughs> I think there's an important point in what you just said there, though. You were saying, oh, I'm treating the first book as a learning curve. But, you know, the, the great thing about a book is that it's not like a piece of cheese. It's not going to go off. Um, it, you, you know, you've built an asset there. Well, exactly. Yeah. At, and at any time, people can discover that. And, and you've got this wonderful back catalogue of books that you're building. And they're not going to date at all, are they? Because they're about the animals. Well, that's right. It's... Um like you say, it's animals. Um, what I find is, what I found in a couple of places, is that people say, well, what's the model to your story? You know, especially for a kid's book. And I'm like, mm. there is no model. It's an adventure book, you know, for kids to enjoy. There doesn't have to be a moral to everything in life, you know, <laughs> to get, mm. get in there and enjoy it. it uh, so, some people are quite sort of, you know, there ought to be a moral, you know. No, no, not really. No, I don't remember reading books with morals when I was a kid. <laughs> not that. And you're sold on the on the self publishing thing, still are you? Do you, have you changed your plans at all, or are you just going to carry on as you are with this? No, I'd carry on uh, self publishing. Uh, uh, like I say, I, to get an to get an agent, I, I think it's too time consuming. It doesn't actually fit the genre. You know, it's not the genre, you know, the expect expectations of the publishing world, the traditional publishing world, should I say. Mm. No, it's, it falls outside that. And also the, the, the sci-fi book that we are on about before, you know, that wouldn't fit. It's a bit sci-fi, it's a bit fantasy, it's it's comedic as well, you know. It's, it, it falls between so many stools that self-publishing for me is the right way to do it because it doesn't fit the, the, the traditional publishing model. And this is the joy of self-publishing, of course. We don't have to fit somebody else's yeah, that's right. uh, restrictions. Yeah. yeah, we just write as we please. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, so the, the sci-fi fantasy book, you're going to work on that too and bring that out as self-published? Yes, I will do. I, I, the, the plan is to do it when, when exactly it will be. I, probably towards the back end of this year, I think. Mm. Does it need a lot of work? Because you, you, you got it down to the 80,000, didn't you? You got it. Um, it. It needs a new ending, the ending is it's it's about time travel but the ending is a bit 
Mm, not too good to be honest your plans don't stop there because you you're you're very active on your blog which is interesting to see and, and i think you're, you're going to turn some of your posts into into a book i did think of that yeah it's um i don't know if you've seen any of them but I, they're they're a bit of a rant really sometimes they go on for miles i was having a look yes yeah. <laughs> there's loads of them aren't there oh yes yes I've been, I've been doing it for just over a year now i think uh, so, well, so what, I gonna, what I was going to do was take a year's worth of blogs and say, you know, this is this year. And then I, I did think of calling it uh, a blogging year. And then next year could be another blogging year. But another working title I've got is Warning May Contain Fs because they're, uh, <laughs> they're not exactly politically correct. <laughs> well, it struck me when I was reading through them, it looked, uh, I, uh, Jeremy Clarkson is what came to mind. You know, he he compiles his newspaper articles, or he certainly has done in the past, mm-hmm. and, and created books with those. It reminded me very much of a of a sort of Jeremy Clarkson type of offering. Uh, it's a bit strange, really, because if I, I let my hair grow a, a bit and it gets a bit wild, people have actually told me that I do look like Jeremy Clarkson. So. <laughs> oh, that's spooky, you see. That's the, that's the universe telling you something, David. It must be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you've got you've got loads going on i do want to to end this interview with with, with good news because you know we, we we obviously explored your journey with some 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 of the really sad events that led to you being as active as you are now Let, let's finish with some upbeat news because you're getting married again in august and that's just so good to hear after what's happened i certainly am yeah it's great i mean i, I feel really lucky to be honest i mean to have had a second chance at life and now to have a second chance uh, with somebody who's absolutely fantastic, like I say, it, it, I mean, you don't very often get that chance to to do it all again, do you? So. Well, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just so delighted to hear it, and we wish you every, you know, happiness together. And I really hope that your author career flourishes. A wonderful book, uh, Dognap. You've done a really good, you know, job of it as a as a first book. It's just brilliant. Thank you. Um, so congratulations on that. Um, I need to ask you, I know that you, you reckon that you're not great on the internet, so I need to say to you, where can we find you online? Uh, online, the uh, well, I, I do know the addresses. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not that bad. Um, <laughs> uh, the website is www.mistybooks.net. Um, Facebook, www.facebook.com slash mistybooks2015. And Twitter is at Misty underscore books. So basically all you've got to remember is Misty books. Nicely branded there, sir. Yes. Very nicely That's branded. That's what I'm trying to do, create the <laughs> brand. <laughs> well done, Log. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. I wish you the very best of luck for August. Uh, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. If you're new to self-publishing, you might also like to check out selfpublishingacademy.com, the step-by-step guide to getting your manuscript off your hard drive and into print. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.